turning up to a brave new word. Uh, Starburst's premier, number one most popular book podcast. We might also be the only book podcast that Starburst does, but we'll ignore that for a moment. Uh, my name's Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Uh, Sarah Grunefagin. Esther McCallum-Stewart. Russell Smith. Jeanette Ng. Producer Al. And in case you have missed this amazing show, which has been nominated for billions of awards, um, statement may contain lies, um, the, the format of the show is what we're going to try and do is we're going to try and get, get through as much of the recent book news as possible. And I'm really confident that this time around, that will actually work. So <laughs> uh, before we get on to anything else, I'm going to play a lovely jingle. This, this. Is Fabrician International. That was lovely. Didn't, didn't lovely. Amazing. That's an absolutely lovely jingle. It, we might also be a radio show. You can catch us on fabradiointernational.com. And yes, I'm legally allowed to have to say it that way. Uh, you can also find us on the Starburst Magazine website. You can also find us on Twitter at Radio Bookworm. And if you're currently here and you're, you're tweeting things, we are at Radio Bookworm. And Del, who isn't here, would love to see photos because, like, she loves photos or something like that. Also, so, we're on Instagram. We are on Instagram. I don't understand Instagram. Well, that's good because you don't run the social media. Yes, also I don't understand photos or pictures. Mostly it's words. If it's written down in a book format, that's fine. Thank you, everyone with the cameras there. Send Dell photos, make Dell happy. <laughs> that is our new hashtag. We, we <laughs> should get on with the actual show rather than massive amounts of self-promotion. Um, so uh, just before we... Because obviously we've got the regular crew, which is Russell and producer Al. But can I get our lovely authors and organisers and guests and awesome people just to introduce themselves and what they do? Yeah, um, as I said before, my name's Sarah Grunewagen. Um My background's mostly Doctor Who fandom, but scribbled quite a lot about it, particularly about being queer. Um, my first novel is part of that universe, part of the Lethbridge-Stewart books by Candy Jar, um, etc., which came out last year. And I'm writing a monograph about Face the Raven for the Obverse Books published um, Black Archive uh, series, basically. And by day, I fight organised crime because um, I work for the National Crime Agency. So, <laughs> yes, wow. <laughs> um, my name's Esther McCallum-Stewart. I'm an associate professor of video games and board games at the University of Staffordshire. My boss is going to kill me at Staffordshire University. Um, I'm also the head of facilitation, which is as exciting as it sounds, for uh, Dublin 2019, the forthcoming Worldcon bid in, um, I believe it's in France? Dublin 2019? Dublin 2019. Anyone? Okay, it's somewhere. Canada. Canada. Let me check. Uh, 2019 Um, Dublin, apparently. And I'm currently writing a book on board games and board game theory with uh, Doug Brown (laughs) from the University of Falmouth. Sorry, I nearly said the wrong Doug there. (laughs) Uh, I'm a regular, so I don't get to speak very much, so I'm going to pass you on next. (laughs) Um, Hello, um, I'm Janet Ng. Um, I think I was here last week weeks ago. Um, uh, I wrote a novel, Under the Pendulum Sun. It's about... Hey! Thank you. (laughs) It's about Victorian missionaries going to fairyland. It's very gothic, and it has lots of theology in it, and um, it's all right. Um, And I I was nominated for a Campbell, asterisk, not a Hugo. Um, (laughs) It's very important. Um, And um, that's, that's me. And I'm producer Al, and I desperately try to keep this in line. It, it doesn't go well. So uh, we've, we've got a perfect segue, because we can start with the Hugo Awards. Now, on, on Friday, I didn't know who was winning, because I'm not psychic, nor did they tell me. Um, 
However, we we I sat in a small room full of other fans and found out who was who was nominated, which was fantastic. And then Tor.com told me anyway. But it was really strange because I was sitting right next to Kim Stanley Robinson. I didn't realise I was sitting right next to Kim Stanley Robinson until he went, Oh, yes. Oh, I knew him and I'm like, hang on, who are you? Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which was rather lovely. But when it got to best series, he got really kind of like, What is that? I don't know what what best series what nonsense and I was just like oh bless you, <laughs> but um so yes so the the Hugo's have come out and uh, Jeanette you've been nominated for not a Hugo, I, I don't understand why it's not a Hugo but but yes because how, of how you... rules which are very particular oh, no comment also <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's weird actually because we've got someone who's like on the list of nominations and we've got someone who is organising Dublin. Um, so uh, really, I should—I I don't want to go through the massive long list because it's like—it's kind of interesting and it's kind of boring at the same time. It, it's that weird kind of paradox. So best novel, we've got things like *The Collapsing Empire*. We've got uh, *New York 2140*. Um, again, which is by Kim Stanley Robinson, and he was unsurprised. So there we go. Uh, *Provenance* by Anne Leckie, which I really liked. I really, really liked *Provenance*, just because it kind of reminded me of a mix of Ian and Banks novels where people are just a bit more stupid, uh, which I kind of liked as a book. *Raven Strategy* and uh, six weeks please someone stop me before i go through the entire list because there's like a billion <laughs> things here um with the stone stone sky by nk jemison uh, i mean are you not talking about the nk jemison award for best novel other than <laughs> 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 yeah it was very interesting to not see it on the series list actually i was definitely expecting it to see which is one of the prototype categories that's being tested out this year uh, to see if it's working along with the new ya award so this is the second year the series award has happened. I should yes, know, I but I'm so. not. No, in don't that. be looking at me. I don't I know. I think so. Yeah. Uh, yes, it is because. Yeah. 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 Um, and so it was very interesting to see that that wasn't nominated in that category, um, because you know it's eminently eligible. But mm. I don't know. It's a better list than the certainly the best novel is. It's very representative of the community. Um, but it's a good list. There's some good stuff on there. Yeah. I, think. I, I am looking forward to reading it with a voters packet. Mm. To be honest. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because the Hugo Awards, when you're talking to strangers who don't know what a Hugo Award is, or they kind of know what a Hugo Award is because it's on the front of a book and it says, won a Hugo Award, or nominated for a Hugo Award, or Tingle Hugo Award nominee. <laughs> and, and you look at those and you go, okay, well, this is obviously a big deal. And then people try and explain it, and they explain it really badly because they say, oh, it's the Oscars. And the Oscars are, are a small clique of people who work in the industry who, who nominate stuff that they like. Uh, and note that Get Out is on the list, on yeah. which is Yay. which is lovely. Uh, also on the Stalkers, we'll get to in a moment. But it's really odd because I think what we forget is is that people who go to Worldcon are well read, they are well travelled, uh, and they are massive super uber fans that just want to you know just want to read and read and read and read and read. And that's a very specific slice of a community. It's a really important slice of a community. But they aren't, and, and feel free to, to, to interject, but they aren't, what they aren't is they aren't um, some sort of elite taste maker. That it's just a slice of the community, and it, it's an important prize, and it's an amazing prize. But one of the tragedy of the sad puppies, because we can call it a tragedy now, because um, it ended yeah. as a story. One of the tragedies. Is this like the tragedy of Darth Plagueis? Yes, let me tell you the tragedy <laughs> of Darth Plagueis. No, no. Um, uh, the tragedy of the, the sad puppies is they never really understood what they were trying 
to subvert in the first place. I, I would argue because they were like, "Oh, it's a popular prize. Let's let's no, it's not a popular prize. Like like these books aren't popular. Sci-fi fans aren't popular. I mean, come on, I've met them. I'm I am one." The thing, the thing about the Oscars is they're chosen, or the nominees are chosen by the members of the Academy, and the Hugo nominees are chosen by the members of the appropriate world cons. So it's of whom a lot of whom are people who work within the industry. So it's kind of approaching being an Oscars for that sort of stuff. Um, but also it's more than one format. So BDP short form has got, you know, TV and a song um, and whatever else in it this year. Yeah. And, and I think, too, because it's Worldcon, it changes Yay, all the exactly. time. And in particular, because Worldcon has quite nicely gone into this nice little rhythm of USA one year, somewhere else the next, um, and, and quite different places. So it's constantly getting different people, which helps, I think. Yeah, and um, as a sort of interjection there, the Worldcon is organised by a slightly different team every year, so it's not the same people doing the same thing. There are people who sort of cycle through it. But I think surely the more important question when you're comparing the Hugos with the Oscars is which is a better murder weapon? And it's obviously the Hugo because it's a gigantic rocket that you will never, ever get through customs. I mean, isn't that the, like... Yes, <laughs> and, and I believe there have been difficulty with people but, yes, actually receiving yeah, their Hugos yeah, through the them. post. Yeah, yeah. 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 always get it posted. Apology topic. You know, starting with a, gi- a giant rocket, you know, through, you know, trying to get through customs. Yeah. There's actually an episode of the TV show Castle uh, where someone is killed by a fashion award. And, <gasps> it, and it was originally written as a Hugo Award, I'm told, um, because one of, the, one of the editors looked at a, Hugo, a, his, a writer friend's Hugo Award and went, you can do some serious damage, because it's pointy at one end, and it's got a good handle, and it's nicely Usually, fitted, yeah. and it's, it's stainless steel, so you can clean it quite easily. So, so I, it's not that... Not that <laughs> hand gestures don't work on radio, but everyone else finds that hilarious. But, Ed, you know, I it can't help but think lovely. you bought this through to a little bit much. Oh, uh, like, we'll, we'll get on I to... I am it. taking notes. <laughs> no, it's, it's a fantastic, because it's pointed, and you can just get... It's, it's not an unusual murder point either, um, so it would confuse well, people. A slightly narcissistic tangent. Um, I was made aware that the Campbell... Um, they, they have an, uh, a medal, um, which is not an award um, because it's not a Hugo. Um, and you also get a tiara, oh, uh, but no. only for a year. Um, you have to give it back. Diadem. <laughs> oh, it's a di- oh, it, well. It's beautiful, though. It's well, beautiful. Uh, it was a tiara. I, just, I, I would, hypothetically, just wear it for an entire year and never take it off and just <laughs> swan them out going, who's queen? Um, um, but, um, but if it's a diadem, that's a very different story. So, audience, you already know about two of the Horcruxes. If you can find the next <laughs> five, then you know what to do. I, I would also just caution, if you are going to use either a Hugo or an Oscar as a murder weapon, I've seen a lot of police procedurals. You're going to have to be very careful to get all of the residue off that. Well, one of the weirdest uh, things that has to be added to the budget every year because it's the best way to ship them is pool noodles, which are those weird things that if you go to aqua aerobics are used because they are used to wrap the Hugos when they're posted. And it's one of these sort of weird fan fixes that somebody once thought, hang on a minute, there is something we can put the Hugos in. It's this weird thing you go swimming with. So odd budget items, 6952.96 is, yeah... I think that's useful information also for pub quizzes. So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so Ed, I hear there's some news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, actually, uh, kind of a segue, talking of murder weapons. Um, so, the, 
the Starburst Fantasy Awards were announced, uh, <laughs> and that, that they are also fantastic murder weapons because it's meant to, it's an Oscar shape, uh, but the, the robot from the day the earth stood still, uh, so it's, the, the, it's, it's got goat, but we can't call it goat, it's the roboto. Otherwise, otherwise, we get a very angry letter. Um, it, it's the Roboto, which looks like goat, in the Oscar pose. Um, and that is also, we, we worked out that that's really, really good. Also, it's got a tapered end to go into the actual award bit. So you can hold it as a handle. So, <laughs> so it's, 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 and what makes that worse is Mike Weiss, who owns Star Wars magazine, is therefore ultimately responsible for all those things, is a criminal barrister. As in, he's a barrister that, does, that, that, that deals with crime. Uh, rather than some sort of gangster. Um, <laughs> so, sorry, Mike, please don't fire me. Uh, and, and that is also very, very well tapered, but uh, this year it went to um, the various people in the audience who were nominated, and there's one person on the panel who was nominated for that, uh, but it went to uh, Margaret Higadotter for uh, Pacific Monsters, and it's the first time myself and Russ were involved yeah. in, the, in the awards process. And, and we made a massive mistake in the fact that we, we thought we'll make it nice and original by making it broad. So it's an incredibly broad award because it's for writing and it's for words that are brave and new. Brave we mean, mean bold. Uh, writing we mean well written. Um, and obviously new we mean, again, striking and within the, the year period that it's, it's released. But that also means that we have this such wide net. Publishers went, it's a really wide net and we don't know what you want. Let us send you everything. And we were like, <laughs> oh, okay. So, so the, the, the shortlist was eclectic. Yes. I, I kept the recipe for myself, but... Yeah, and, and, yeah, and I think we got it right. Well, no, I know we got it right because Pacific Monsters was lovely, but there was not a single book on that list, or there's not a single work on that list, sorry, that you shouldn't read because they're all really, really good and really, really interesting. And I'm not just saying that because Adrian Tchaikovsky is in the audience. Um, <laughs> but yeah, already thinking about how we can uh, how we can apply the uh, apply a Hugo Award as a weapon. <laughs> I well, see you. <laughs> the others of the monsters, um, the monster anthologies are also excellent. By the way, um, Asian monsters, for example, have some wonderful stories. Um, um, they they are, as you could probably guess from the title, themed after um, different kind of folkloric creatures um, from different regions, and 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 they're just really delightful and have some really nice kind of obscure. Oh, I, I did I forgot that one existed. Kind of, it's not just sort of the unicorns and selkies. Pacific Monsters has drop bears. Yes, it has exactly. drop bears. Brilliant. Oh. Uh, it's uh, from Australia originally, so drop bears are the aces thing about Australia. <laughs> it's the fact that you just like aging for it, and it's like gorgeous illustration, gorgeous illustration, kill a koala, drop the book, you get slightly scared. <laughs> uh, uh, drop bears are not koalas; just they, they, they are completely different. Because mm. I've got scream bears in my head after annihilation, and scream bear is never going to leave me ever again. Oh yeah, that thing. <sighs> Oh God, no! Why? Someone, someone Made by the same people who make Paddington. <gasps> what? What? Yeah, the, the special effects team. Hang on, is that is that is that like Paddington's final stage? <laughs> no, no, that has a complete. <laughs> like, like he eats too much marmalade, or to give it its street name, well. Aunt Lucy, because um, he's always talking about his Aunt Lucy, and he's addicted to marmalade. There is no Aunt Lucy. It's just what he calls his marmalade. It's, <laughs> it's Have you not seen Paddington too? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> oh, 
no, that's what happens if you get stuck in that. Uh, it, you get stuck in the glare, isn't it? Oh, are, are we saying that Paddington has an abyssal stare? <laughs> uh, like, like, do not stare at Paddington unless you, you find yourself. He has a hard stare, though, doesn't he? It's in yes. the books that he has a hard that stare. That is the yeah. hard stare, mm. isn't it? Mm. But that's the hard stare that's just stuck for a week. But, <laughs> but is it a hard stare in the same way that you get hard light? Can, can Paddington knock people over? Is he, in fact, a Jedi? Do you know what? Anyway, um, book I've news. <laughs> <laughs> what? There is a book in this, I'm sure. I'm just saying I've never messed with Paddington for that long. No. The, the, the hard stare was enough last time, but, you know. Uh, swinging back to books, someone, someone watched Annihilation on Netflix and then... Then, oh, okay. <laughs> and, then, and then tweeted Jeff Vandermeer to say, this is really like a book you've written. You should get in touch. <laughs> Them. His response was also kind of like, oh, no, I really should. No, that mm. sounds really worrying. Thanks for your advice, yeah. <laughs> um, for the recommendation. I shall have stern words, yeah. <laughs> shall, we, shall we get on with book news? Um, let's go with Red Dwarf writer creates a new novel. So that a new being has been created uh, called Grant Marshall, which is Rob Grant, uh, and he's teamed up with... Um, you didn't write his name. Somebody whose name you do not give. It's somebody who's got a Marshall in his... His Marshall is a senator. But Mr. he wrote... Dr. Marshall. Dr. Marshall. We'll call him Mr. Marshall, and then he can write Marshall, in. Marshall. Jan Marshall. We'll go with that. <laughs> I think it's a chap, unfortunately. But, oh, no, Jan's a guy. Jan. Yeah, Jan, yes. Okay. Um, but yes, um, we're as far as Marshall. Marshall Marshall. Marshall Marshall. Maybe he is a Marshall. Marshall Marshall from Mars. He, he could well be. Well, because it, it's, it's called the Quandahon Experiment, and it's based on the Radio 4 show they're doing, and they've written a book called The Quandahon Experiment. And it's, it's returning back to Bernard Quartermass as a, as a... Oh, goodness. It's returning back to Bernard Quartermass as, as an idea. Now, I'm a massive fan of 1950s-style sci-fi. I think a lot of people are. Uh, and, you know, you've got the whole thing of Jodle Bank, and you've got the whole idea. But the, the conceit for this, apparently, is it's 1952. No one else has noticed that it's been 1952 for about 65 years. <laughs> so, so they're constantly having these. And I think the BBC have, have, have done this idea before and the fact that they've done parodies. Didn't Mark Gattis do it? Yeah, it, it's been, been in Doctor Who at least five times, I think, broadly speaking. But, yeah, quite a mess in Doctor Who do intersect quite a lot, yeah. Well, if it's um, been that many times, that would make it almost a running gag, wouldn't it? As yeah, it you know, yeah. still hasn't moved out of this time. But yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure probably the 60th anniversary will have it again, because, you know. Yeah. I'm always reminded when I think of... Because when I think of Bernard Quatermass, I think of Jodle Bank, because it was Dr. Bernard's name escapes me, very sorry. Um, but he was... Marshall. 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 Dr. Marshall. <laughs> and he was an, I- inspired by the whole Bernard Quatermass thing. And I immediately think of Logopolis, the Dr. Who episode. Yes. Well, in case you've not missed it, in case you've missed it, they, they're essentially at Joddle Bank, though they call it something else. Um, and the master, for some reason, decides that he's taken over the universe because he's done maths at them. Uh, he's done maths at everyone. He's now the ruler of the universe. And he picks up a microphone and goes, attention, beings of the universe. And it's, can you imagine how that works? So you're sitting there at home, and then suddenly you turn on the television, and someone goes, attention, beings of the universe. I'm your ruler now. And you're like, what? <laughs> How, how does that? How, how it's never explained because it's literally one line <laughs> of an episode of Doctor Who where the master just goes, "I'm I'm in charge now," and at no point is anyone told that, that he's not in charge. No, and he still is clearly. Hmm. Um, so yeah. y- y- you know, it worked. Um, it would explain a lot. Yeah, we all think it's somebody else, but it's actually mm. him. Um, yeah, 
he, he was always very famous for hypnotizing his, um, the people he subjugated, which was everyone, so all the time. Um, in his head, works all the time. Boat Saxon. Oh, I prefer Missy. So, you know. See, I'm going I'm to cross that whole Quanda Horn experiment. It sounds great, Quanda Horn experimentations, but essentially they're doing a book and Rob Grant is working with someone else to create a, a novel series. I really like the Red Dwarf stuff that they did back in the day. So, yeah, that sounds quite good. Um, I'm, on, I'm in serious danger of getting to another, uh, another piece of book news, which would be quite nice. You can tell it's award season because most of this news is awards. Um, so let's go to the Kitchies. Um, 2017, Kitchies shortlist announced. Um, now, the Kitchies are really odd because like, it's called the Kitchies. It comes from a website called Porno Kitch. Uh, I remember um, it's inspired by a website called Porno Kitch. I remember actually very early on in the various small groups and the various things where they're going, hey, look at the Porno Kitch website. And people are like, no, that's, that's clear. it's got porno in the title. That's, that's clearly dodgy. But I, no, it's like, but it's kind of intelligent blogging. But they're called the tentacles. So I'm, e I'm easily impressed by anything that involves tentacles and also books because as we know, Octopi reads. Are there any, like, has anyone got any recommendations off this list? Because I don't recognize any of them, but I do like the kitchies. Has anybody... Uh, J.Y. Yang is amazing, um, and The Black Tides of Heaven um, is on it. Um, uh, the, it it's, it's the first in the Tensorite series. Um, the third one's going to be out mm -hmm. um, soon, um, and they're just, they're, they're gorgeous. Uh, I think it, it's normally described as kind of Magitek, um, sort of Magitek pseudo-Japan, mm -hmm. and it's, it's just... It's wonderful. Um, um, it's about a pair of siblings who who were had by the their imperial mother because she owed the monastery a child. Um, she made a deal, and um, and and the monastery thought they were getting one, and and then things complicate and it's also a world setting where gender isn't assigned at birth which is also amazing to see it's 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 amazing it, it, the novellas so you know you could read them mm. you could read them quite quite briskly and just they're really really beautifully written i'm kind of excited that rj barker is going to be I, I have a new microphone hooray uh, i'm kind of excited that rj barker is going to be uh, on the debut list for age of assassins because uh, i like i like rj's work and it's, it's really odd because like, you meet the author, and sometimes you meet an author, and an author isn't quite the same as, oh, there's, there's oh, there we go. Uh, you meet an author, and sometimes the author isn't quite the same as you'd expect them. And I read Age of Assassins, and I was like, ooh, serious crime novel set in a fantasy world where everything's really screwed up and everything's really weird. Um, I bet you they're really poor-faced and serious. And then I meet RJ, and he's very tall, he's very goth, and he's halfway up the wall most of, most, most of the time, and he's completely lovely. And I was just like, you're not what I expected from your books, and that's <laughs> amazing. RJ uh, was going to be my shout as well, because, yeah. Uh, he, he, the, the first time I ever actually met, met him, he gave me a piece of paper with the words on we, uh, <laughs> and it made me very sad. Uh, but, uh, so when are these ones announced? Uh, I think later, much later in the year. Um, interestingly, uh, Jared Shuren, who's the guy who's responsible for initiating it, though it's now a separate thing, uh, has stopped doing the Porno Kitch website. So there's a the, there's kind of like an end to the Porno Kitch stuff going on. Um, so that that's kind of interesting. Nina Allen's on there for for the Rift, which is which is 
nice because like it would be nice to see Nina win something uh, again because uh, she's also awesome and through Titan. It's a really it's a really odd odd kind of prize. They're doing the inky technical and I haven't written down all the cover art because I was obviously running out of space. Um, but it's nice to see a proper cover art award as well because you don't you know, you know the the BSFAs have one. But I don't think the Hugos have a have a cover art award. They have best fan artist, but they don't have a. I have to say as well, I love the name Inky Tentacle for a um, for a cover art award. It's just well, they they used to have a, an Invisible Tentacle award as well at one point for a couple of years because they were being sponsored by a video games company. They had the Invisible Tentacle for uh, things that were natively digital, and I know that means video games and writing based on video games. But it just made me think of Tron or Reboot. <laughs> it's like, like a, a work written by someone in the Tron world and it's like, you know, then sent it out into the internet, which I think is where most fan fiction comes from, as I understand it. Yeah, it's actually, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, I've heard that. Wreck-It Ralph does like 50% of all Wreck-It Ralph fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Hunger um, Makes the Wolf is also badass, for the record. Uh, I mean, have a Duran Duran soundtrack. It is, It, yeah. it does very <laughs> much exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. Sorry. Yeah. I'm in serious danger of getting on to another, uh, another news item, mm-hmm. if anyone's going to try and stop me. Um, <laughs> so, no, because um, I'm excited about this one, because I can talk about this one. <laughs> uh, the British Film Institute teams up with Bloomsbury. So Bloomsbury are a major uh, publisher, academic publisher, and the British Film, Film Institute basically are responsible for Britain's legacy of films. And television. And television. And sometimes uh, video games. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the great thing with Bloomsbury is that ties in neatly with the next bit of news that you've got on the, on the list, because they're the publishers of Harry Don't Potter. get ahead of yourself. But, yeah, no. I just did. Yeah, so they're, they're going to kind of try and revamp the, the BFI's existing works. Um, the BFI film classics has already been through like at least two different versions of quite what those books look like, but they are amazing series of essays about well-regarded films, so there's like Meet Me in St. Louis and loads of classic stuff in the classic Hollywood era of musicals, and then there's like a more modern stuff, so they've done some about most of Tarantino's films, um, and they just go really go into in-depth about how the film was made, where it sat culturally, and they're a really good kind of compact read that you could read on your commute to work, um, but if, if you love film they just open up that world to you of how they're made and what the cultural st- standing significance of individual pieces is. Yeah. And they've also done some Doctor Who, Doctor Who stuff, so therefore also television as well. Mm. But yeah, they're brilliant books. Yeah, the, uh, There's one on science fiction cinema, which is the sort of overarching one, which is unbelievably good, and I still use it um, to teach students with. And there's also a fantastic one about The Thing that has a picture of Mac, and the caption underneath says, Mac and his hat... <laughs> just yeah but again like the the keying into the things that are both really cherished and really important about the movies or whatever topic they're covering is it's like a real kind of highlight of those books they're yeah they're wonderful one of the things I, one of the things i find fascinating about the thing is the, the ending of the thing and i'm not going to spoil it for you in case you haven't seen it but you, you should have seen it by now uh unless you haven't in which case that's fine as well but it's one of those ones with a really ambiguous ending and uh, apparently Kurt Russell and um, John Carpenter know the ending and they'll never tell anyone and they'll take it to their grave, which I think is how you do an ambiguous ending. You don't go, we don't know. You go, no, we know. We absolutely know. We're not telling you. Ha. 
maybe I will make a sequel. Then you make a sequel, and then you don't tell them again. You, you just keep doing that until they keep giving you money. That, that's, that, that's a money spinner. Um, the other thing, the, the BFI do it, did an absolutely gorgeous book on The Wicker Man. And it was spoilt for me slightly because it's got these gorgeous prints and gorgeous pictures taken from, the, taken from various stills because bits of The Wicker Man were completely lost. And they're somewhere on the, under the M62. M4. Because, is it the M4? It is. Um, <laughs> Essentially, the, the distributor hated it so much that they ripped bits out of the movie and then just like disposed them in a, the nearest amount of concrete they could find. Um, so we've still got these remaining stills. So you find out more about the Wicker Man. If David Lally's in the room, he would have exploded, so he's not brilliant. Um, <laughs> but then some wag on the internet took these photos and then photoshopped them with characters from the Muppets. <laughs> and, and it's got Kermit the Frog... Uh, as as a detective, it's got Gonzo as Lord Summerisle. It's got it's got uh, Miss Piggy as I forget her name, um, but um, the, the Swedish guy. the barmaid the, the barmaid yeah. uh, and and so on. And it's like this works. The, 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 this is the, the the Muppets, the Wicker Man, and they've done a Christmas Carol, and that's a horror movie. Mm. So that's a horror story. So <laughs> so so let's let's get let's get the D- Disney, the Henson Company, let's get them on the phone and let's get them to do. Uh, Muppets the Wicker Man. It's got nothing to do with books, and I've gone on a tangent again. But uh, and, and who did they cast? Th- who, who did they? Um, uh, where, where did they assign Fozzie in this? Because he was my first thought as Lord, Lord Summer Isle in that one. But I, I can't. I, he's the barman of memory says. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know he's not very good at his job, which is which is Fozzie's thing. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I was just going to say. Let's face it. The the, the Muppet um, Christmas uh, film is the best version of that book ever ever done. And I'm yes. seeing nods in the audience. They're brilliant. Yeah. Muppet Treasure Island is the version of Treasure Island that I prefer, even beyond the book, because the book, the book you just sit there and you go, oh, it's a bit old, and then you watch Muppet, and it's you know searching for adventure on the big blue wet thing, which would best description of the sea I've ever seen. <laughs> what I quite find very interesting about the Muppets is in terms of um, Jim Henson and the kind of philosophy behind whether or not you see the strings on Muppets and whether or not they, you hide the puppeteer. Um, and because a lot of some of the more modern stuff made with the, pu- uh, with the Muppets try to do that in a way that Henson, I think, would find... Or rather, that he, he didn't try to hide the strings and wanted you to see the artistry behind it because it is more beautiful and you can admire the fact that this is, this is a puppet in some ways. And later on, um, a lot of the, the more modern stuff, um, there is an effort to have them kind of perambulate and seeing them walk by themselves and, and, and hiding more of that magic. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of... Well, we could do a lot of philosophizing about whether or not something is more beautiful if the mechanics are exposed. I think it's really weird when you see Kermit walking. Mm. He's, he's just this very riding a bicycle. There's it's an just am- bizarre. Oh, and that's like the set piece of one of the opening, one yeah. of the early movies. There's also an amazing bit in, I think, the Muppet movie where um, they're in the car and, uh, what is it, a Baroness Dudabaka, and they're, they're travelling yeah. through and they pass Big Bird on the road and they say, do you want a lift? And he says, no, I'm going in the other direction to make my fortune in public cinema. And they're like, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the idea of um, mechanics being visible is also a theme in uh, Mary Robinette Cowell's work, um, glamour and, um, the, glamour, the Glamorous Histories. Mm. Um, Shades of Milk and Honey has it in particular, where um, the characters have this wonderful conversation. Because um, Mary Robinette Cowell, in case you didn't know, is also a puppeteer, as well as being an amazing podcaster, an amazing author. Um, and and she, she has this wonderful bit where these characters talk about 
basically seeing seeing the magic, seeing the threads that pull the illusion. And if you knew how it works, is that more beautiful? Is that more magical? Or do you want the illusion preserved that it's actually just, it's just magic. You don't, you don't want to know. Don't watch the making of, you know, it, it's just, it just happens. And, and I think that that's, that's a very interesting philosophical discussion. And yeah, read, read, um, read Shades of Milk and Honey. It's amazing. That's great. There's, can I just say there's a TEDx talk or a TED talk done by Kermit, and he drinks, like, a, a glass of some sort of beverage halfway through. And if you've got a certain camera angle, you can see how it's done. But if you don't, then you can't, and it's very clever. So, so I've interviewed Kermit the Frog, uh, second most famous in the person I've interviewed. Um, the way it worked, it was for, it was for the Muppets 2, the second Muppet movie, and uh, I determined it wasn't his evil twin because there wasn't a... Yep. There wasn't a birthmark. Um, and the way it worked is you got sent a brief, and the brief was like, um, you know, talk to Mr. T-Frog. Um, there will be other people in the room. Do not talk to them. Talk to Mr. T-Frog directly. And if you're doing a fauna, which I was doing, because it was a, a series of round interviews, uh, be aware that the voice might be slightly distorted because the phone is at Kermit's head. So it's a telephone interview, and you're talking to the Muppeteer, if you were interviewing the Muppeteer, you'd be interviewing the Muppeteer, and it'd be down as an interview with a Muppeteer. You're not. You're interviewing Kermit T. Frog. Um, so therefore, the phone is at his mouth, and you're chatting away to Kermit. Uh, and one of the things I discussed with the producer for part of the round of the interviews was the fact that children always get this. Children, children will get onto the stage, uh, onto the sound stage, and they'll see the frog, and they'll talk to the frog, or they'll talk to the creature, and they'll ignore the Muppeteer. And adults have to be... There has to be this brief where you have to actually be told to not talk to the, the Muppeteer. You make eye contact you make eye contact with the frog, otherwise they'll get upset, and they'll tell you off for looking over there. Why isn't <laughs> it just using a conference-calling facility? I, I, I don't know, but I'm more charmed by the fact that he was hauling the phone to his... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I suspect that was part of the point, that they were hauling the phone um, there. But it, it was absolutely lovely. The, the, the most famous interview, of course, was uh, Paddington Bear. Oh, yeah. Which was, which was, spoilers, was actually Michael Bond and Susan Bond um, just did, when the first movie came out. And uh, that was also a phone but that was done, again, I was told, this is an interview from the perspective of Paddington Bear. Did so you ask him about Aunt Lucy? I did. Apparently, apparently he keeps in regular touch, and I got very concerned. Aww. Did, did he stare at you? Yeah. Uh, again, it was over the phone, so I'm very glad it didn't happen <laughs> that way. Yeah, but it's Paddington. You'd know if he stared at you over the phone. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, and and shall, shall we go back to books? <laughs> um so, Harry Potter Illustrator in a new book series deal. This is an old one, actually. So, the, if you've ever seen the original um, the, the Philosopher's Stone, or Sorcerer's Stone if you're American, uh, The Philosopher's Stone, uh, Thomas Taylor did the covers, and it's kind of an iconic covers. He's also a, a novelist in his own right, and he's a, a children's illustrator in his own right. And he has signed a massive book deal. And it's like, you know, it's enough to pay several mortgages off styly kind of has set him up for lifestyle book deal um, with again I believe it's with Bloomsbury it doesn't actually say here but well researched fortune there we go um, but yeah called called Malamanda and it's from the perspective of Herbert Lemon whose job it is to return lost things to hotel residents something that I'm sure attendants of Eastercon can appreciate right now 
Um, but the titular Malamande controls people's dreams. And there's a, there's a, apparently there's another character who herds dreams. So I think this is supposed to be a hotel room in your dreams. But certainly I'll be dreaming of this particular hell room, hotel room for, for, for some time. So yeah, that's a really strange idea. It's like, I love the idea of like a proper children's, a proper children's book, um, which is about dreams and deals with dreams specifically. And the only thing I can think of as an example is Pottsworth and Company, which is the kids' TV show with the, the dreaming dog. Mm. I'm getting stared at by producer Al as if I've gone completely insane. There was a kids' TV show where all the kids were normal, everyday kids, and some of them had fairly rubbish lives in the real world, but they all dreamed together, and when they dreamed together, they found themselves in the same collective dream. To be fair, that is a little bit, like, out there. It's essentially it, but for children. Are um, you sure you're not talking about Nightmare on Elm Street 4? No, it was Nightmare on Elm Street, but for children. Is this kids' TV in the 80s? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's all Although you say with isn't it? It, it? it does also remind me of a Sarah Jane Adventures um, episode of which I can't remember the title, but it was written by Joseph Lidster. Um, and he's never actually seen any of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Right. Um, but basically it is about... A, a guy that appears in dreams and, and basically kind of threatens the, the, the kids involved and, and Sarah Jane has to, has to save them, basically. But there's a sheer number of people who said to him, it's like, that's a complete rip-off of Nightmare on Elm Street. Not called Scary Terry? No. OK. Sorry, that's another, um, uh, another Freddy with the serial numbers filed off for anyone who's been watching Rick and Morty. But. Isn't that also Inception at the same time? So it's they, also Inception at the same time. So, so they incept and then they, 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 meet, um, they, they meet Scary Terry, who is a legally distinct... He's described as a legally distinct Correct, nightmare yes. monster. Um, who, who's got a slightly... He's got a prune face rather than a burn face, because obviously legally distinct. And he has spoons for hands? Something like, like that. Because spoons are scarier than, than, than blades, let's be honest. If someone's coming at you... With well, you don't want to run out of them. So, no. <laughs> we won't ruin it for you. Watch the episode if you. <laughs> it's great. I also have a, an endearing story about fans and lost property, um, which is what sort of endeared me to this. And obviously, you know, we're all at a convention this weekend, and we've all done the thing where you've put your phone down and you're stressed because you've lost it, and you know everybody sort of looks at the seat and finds it. Um, so, LonCon three, which was in 2014, which was the last UK Worldcon, was at the Excel Centre in London. And the Excel Centre came to us um, and said it was the event where they've had the most lost property handed in, <laughs> which included passports and iPads and, you know, people's computers and their coats and, and also sort of very sort of random things that people had, you know, bought. And I just thought it was just a sort of wonderful story about the fact that fans genuinely do actually look out for each other because, you know, things weren't going missing they were being found and handed in so that other people could be reunited with them. So I kind of, I really like the idea of reuniting people with lost things in that, you know, and particularly in this, like, wonderful hotel where I've lost something this weekend and it was returned to me by a fan. It's, it's a nice story. It's, it could, it's got, like, a capacity to be really kind of homely and fun and interesting, but it's also got that kind of sharing aspect, which I think is really wonderful. I like the idea of being able to take a dream that you've lost... Mm. Reporting it to, uh, to to lost property, and they're saying I've lost this dream. I can't remember. I can't remember quite what it was, but it involved jam, marmalade, and a very fizzy bear. 
Um, <laughs> and, and then them just, you know, you're taking it and possibly Jeff Vandermeer. And, and, and <laughs> no, then some, no, no, no. someone seriously, <laughs> yeah. seriously writing it down. And then, and then the next day there's a small pot of marmalade and you're like, okay. Slightly creeped out. Shall I, shall I try and... Oh, we've got like five minutes left, I think. Shall we try and move on to the next item? Yeah. Yes, because right. I suspect we may have opinions on this one. Yes. <laughs> Will Self has declared that the novel is doomed. Can we just refer I'm back sorry, up? say again? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry, Will Self has declared that the novel is doomed. See above to earlier oh, article wait. about Starburst yeah. Fantasy yeah, Award. No, wait, there's a completely different book we should talk about. Because, um, speaking of Will Self, um, a fellow angry robot, uh, Matthew Be- um, Abattoir, uh, is writing, or has written, um, uh, The Self and I, which is a book, a, which is a completely different book that is about Will Self, but he doesn't get the royalties from it, so isn't that great? Hey. <laughs> um, um, is... Are these two things connected by any chance? You know? Well, it's, it's called it's called the self and I, and it's a, it's um, the subtitle is a memoir of literary ambition. Um, and um, because uh, Matthew worked as um, the mayor, I cannot pronounce that word. Um, um, he, he worked um, with and he lived with um, Will Self for a while, and it's it's a it's a memoir about their time together and about literary ambition, and it's all it's not. Very science fiction-y, but, you know. Um. Oh, is this the guy who was hired by Will Self as, like, a Nemo Sin or something? He was, like, given a very specific, pretentious title. And then you answer, thank you. Uh, do you know, I really, I really want to put this to our jury right here as to whether they, um, or whether they agree with this statement or... What, what, I'd like, what I'd like is for everyone to read the Angry Robot book and then to specifically tweet and social media the fact that they're talking about it at a water cooler. Because one, one of the things that Will Self said is like, there's, there's been no water cooler books. And I'm like, well, well, there's no such thing as a water cooler book. People, people, over, like people at work over a cup of tea will talk about telly. Pe- people don't go, oh, I've read Trainspotting. No. You occasionally have that conversation with someone who's read Trainspotting because you're talking about like, stuff in general. But it's not like, a, you know, oh. oh, did you see the match last night? No, I was reading Gormenghast. It, it's not... <laughs> well, it- was for a while it was you know something like 50 shades of gray and then mm. it was you know american gods and mm. you know people do talk about books in that context yeah the, the da vinci code was huge that some of the da vinci goes out i was living in london and you couldn't get on a tube without there being at least three copies being read in any particular carriage of the tube um which, which in some ways is you know a, a plague on um um, on secondhand and uh, sort of charity bookstores, where they kind of make this these towers of of these kind of water cooler moment books, where they sort of tower up, um, and then they sort of like, stop selling, um, stop sending us copies of Da Vinci Code. Um, here, you, here. you can buy specifically recycled Fifty Shades of Grey toilet paper. Uh, the, the, there is a company. There is a company that is send send us your Fifty Shades of Grey, and you can you can use it for something more useful. Uh, unreasonably oh harsh. So this, does this go back to me being the associate? Oh, it's a very specific Aspron. kink. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I need this toilet paper in my life for the. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I've just had this thing with the water cooler moment with this. Is, uh, is everybody just standing there going, yeah, yeah so, th- so this Will Smith, uh, it's this Will Self thing, you know. The problem <laughs> is he just wants to walk it in, doesn't he? But yeah, it's just, <laughs> sorry. 
better if it was talking about Will Smith. So have you read Will Smith's latest book? So it's worth pointing out that the UK publishing industry alone is worth uh, £4.8 billion and has grown 7% in the last year. So yeah, yeah, no, Will, the the book's dying, definitely. Does he mean that books written by him are becoming less popular and books written by, ooh, shock horror, women and people who are not white men are becoming more popular and selling more, and he's like a little bit angry about that, maybe. Can I, can I add an asterisk to that statement? It's not just a white man, it's a mediocre white man. Ooh. It's not really a burn, though, is it? Really? You know? <laughs> Will Self is more famous for being on Shooting Stars than his right... I used to really fancy Will Self when I was 20, but then, then you know, when I was 20, I was an idiot, to, to, to be quite honest. I but don't yeah. think I've ever read anything he's written. He's one of those interesting... It'd be unfair to call... No, I'll be unfair. uh, Smoke and Mirrors-style author where, you know, when you meet... When you read some writing and you go, oh, they're amazing, and then you read who they've read and you go, oh, no, they're better. And it's that that kind of moment. It's it's a problem I have with Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry's really clever when he has a script in front of him and he's really impressive at looking really clever. But some of the things he goes, he goes, actually, you know, that's a quote from Democritus. You're you're quoting 2,000-year-old dead Greeks... And they were really clever, and people have done really clever things afterwards. So, so well done you, but mm. yeah, it's not, it's not an achievement, no. it's just a quote. Um, no, we're, st- we're still talking too much about Will Self. I mean, <laughs> Matthew literally brought back absinthe as a thing. Isn't that brilliant? Way more interesting. So, Bergen wins 2017 Tip Tree Award. <laughs> <laughs> Tip Tree Awards, whee! <laughs> Um, I, I don't think it's possible to say a single mean thing about the Trip Tree Awards because they're fantastic. Um, I'm assuming everyone in the audience has a clue what we're talking about. Uh, there's, there's lots of nods, so I'm assuming that's a... Uh, essentially, the, uh, Virginia Bergen's novel, Who Runs the World? Question mark. Who Runs the World? I, I don't know if we can get that right. Who? Who? Who runs the world? Who runs the world? I'm going to keep saying that until it makes no sense. Uh, Has won the 2017 James Tiptree Award. Now, I love this prize. So the book is uh, set 60 years after a virus has wiped out almost all men on the planet. Uh, The Tiptree is given... So that's an interesting novel. Though I really liked Why the Last Man as well, which is the same idea. Where most men die, except this one guy. Yeah, I mean, it's not a new idea, but a good, an old good idea done well is is still interesting, right? Yeah. 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 There's there's been tropes recycled. Good ideas get recycled because they're good ideas. It's the the writing and the rhythm that counts. Um, But the tip tree includes money, quite a lot of money, artwork, quite a bit of artwork, and chocolate. And there's my suggestion for the Dublin 2019 Hugo Awards, by the way. What, money, artwork and chocolate? Uh, no, just, well, you could just cast, a simple slogan. You could cast like mini rocket. Hugos yeah, well, in chocolates. If, if anybody uh, was at Helsinki last year, the Hugo Losers Award actually gave out uh, Hugo Awards that were made of chocolate to the Hugo <gasps> Losers Party. And unfortunately, I'm actually quite allergic to chocolate, so there were quite a lot of them hanging out in my fridge, which I was going to bring... And then I took them out, and mm, they'd suffered a sad, not very chocolatey death, um, which involved like coleslaw and. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. No, the audience says. This is one of those so, simple yeah. slogans I could get behind in a revolution, though. Cash, artwork, chocolate. Oh. I, I, it's, they've got my vote. I mean, it says here lovely chocolate as well. So it's not oh, even better. Well, yeah, but you know, once you've got their attention, you can tell them how lovely it is, and that's it. Just eating <laughs> out of your hands. 
The real question is how good a murder weapon the chocolate award is. Mm, yes. Compared well, to the other who's awards. You know, very allergic to it. It's the perfect weapon. Mm. Well, yeah. it's, it's the perfect the weapon. It's our leg of lamb style. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a leg of lamb. I'm glad I didn't bring it so, to share it out. <laughs> it's, it's a perfect murder weapon. You, you, you kill someone with it, obviously, and then, and then you eat it. Uh, so, so all the evidence is gone except for a very chocolatey bear. That's the title of my next short story, A Hock of Chocolate. It's going yeah. to be great. Obviously, the, the leg of lamb has to be frozen when you use it as a murder weapon. <laughs> Just pointing that out. I was talking about chocolate as poison, not, not, not you know, thumping. Or That's a good point. Five kilos of Belgian chocolate dropped from a great height especially would kill pretty much anyone. Um, also, also, if you just eat it in one set, sitting, <laughs> very close to, to, to ending. But I just like the idea of being handed an award and then just looking at it and then peeling it off, peeling off, the <laughs> peeling it off, and just putting it in well, your mouth. I had a friend who accepted a golden joystick a few years ago, and unfortunately, it turns out that the golden jo- joysticks are just joysticks sprayed gold. So during the course of the evening, they had to keep holding it tighter and tighter because the gold paint <laughs> just completely sort of disappeared. So I like the idea of you holding it and, you know, you're sort of holding it up and it becomes increasingly smaller and you become increasingly chocolatey as, you know, as the evening continues. That's a rejected Bond novel as well, isn't it? The, mm. the, the, only, prize, the only prize this, this podcast ever won was the Podcaster Games Award. And they take in a real microphone, much like the one I'm speaking into, actually. They take in a real microphone and they'd um, sprayed it gold and then they'd modified it so it was more... Uh, it, it was essentially... It There's a lot mad. of glitter. There's a lot of <laughs> glitter on that award. That's just... I'm just saying that. There's a lot of glitter. Also the fact that because they've changed the shape of it slightly, it looks less like a microphone and more like a dildo, which is, which is problematic when you're like, I win this, and they're like, really? <laughs> <laughs> what did you win that for? Um, <laughs> So, so um, thank you for being Lifetime an... time achievement. <laughs> I think we've run out of time, which is really good. Um, also, we didn't get to the Bram Stoker Awards. They were lovely and people won things. Hey. Um, but Get Out won an award, which is fantastic. Yay. So, so uh, I've been Ed Fortune, I'm pretty sure, uh, and it's goodbye for me. And Sarah Grinovagan, also goodbye from me. I'm uh, Asprof McCallum-Stewart. And I've been Russell Smith. Be seeing you. I'm Jeanette. Uh, and I'm producer Al. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, clap, clap, <laughs> applaud. <laughs> They're worried. They've got to run. If, if you enjoy that show, uh, you can find us on... If, if you love that show, you can find us on iTunes as uh, Brave New Words... If you hated the show, you can find us as Tea and Jeopardy. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can follow us. You can follow us uh, on Twitter at Radio Bookworm. And just thank you for your patience with our hour of nonsense. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.